All right, so how many of you are nervous now, right? Like, what are we doing here? All right, let me, uh, um, today we're going to talk a little bit about politics and all that God's people said. Oh, all right. So how many of you, I don't know if you know this or not, we're 85 days away from a presidential election. That happens every four years, all right, and we're 85 days away. How many of you um, enjoy the chaos and the excitement of the election season? How many of you, let me see, all right, how many of you are just ready for this thing to be over? Let's just get it over, all right? Let me ask you a question. How many of you are those people that when politics comes up in general, you just hate it? Like you don't want to be around when people start talking politics. You don't want to be around. You don't want to be at the table. You don't want to be in the discussion. How many of you, that's you? All right. How many of you are the people that bring it up? All right. Now let me, I'm going to stop for a second because this is the audience participation portion of the program. All right. And I'm asking questions and about four of you are participating. All right. I need audience participation. All right. How many of you are the ones that bring it up like at the table? All right. Let me ask a question. We're just kind of getting to know each other a little bit. I mean, anybody here watch all the debates, maybe for your particular political party? Anybody watch all the debates? We got, look at that. Look at that. Justin Baga. Good to know. All right. Anybody watch some of the debates? You watched a little bit of the debates. All right. How many of you are like debates? What are, what is that? What do they, they have those? All right. Maggie, good to see. All right. Um, how many of you here know who you're voting for? Okay. All right. Let me ask you this. How many of you think churches and preachers ought to stay away from this kind of stuff and not talk about it? It's about five. All right. The first service I had about uh, 80%. And so I thought, well, that's, that's always fun when you're getting ready to talk about it. How many of you think a pastor should never talk about that? Oh, yeah, we don't think you should. Good, I'm going to talk about it, all right? And so that's fun. Let me, uh, let me tell you, we're going to talk about today, and this is what I want to talk. This is what I, I want to challenge you to do. This is what I want you to think about. Uh, the question of politics is always kind of a tough one for me um, because as a pastor, uh, I, I really am pulled in two different directions. First of all, there, there are times, often times, when I feel like I need to be doing more. Now, doesn't my obedience to, to God and my obedience to the gospel and my obedience to Jesus demand of me to speak up about topics and issues that I think strongly about, stand up for truth and justice? And on the other hand, there are times that I think, no, 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 I, I do too much. Like, I shouldn't talk about it at all. Because I don't want to put anything as an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you don't struggle with that tension, you've probably fallen in the ditch on one side or the other. Where you give too much weight to politics or you don't give enough. As a Christian, it's easy to look at politics and, and want to walk away altogether. It's harder to say, okay, I want to engage, but I want to engage in the proper way. And this is the challenge that I want to place before you, all right? Because Scripture makes it very clear that um, whether we want to be or not, <laughs> we have to be involved in politics. I don't mean you have to run for office. I don't mean you have to be one of those blockers or talk about it on Facebook all the time. In fact, if you talk about it on Facebook all the time, you're going to get muted till November probably from certain people on stage, all right? I mean, like, I'm not talking about that. But Scripture makes it clear that we have a responsibility when it comes to our government. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, it says, First of all, I urge that petitions, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for everyone. Now, that, that's kind of broad, right? We, we make them for everyone. Right? In the Bible, everyone means everyone. 
But then he gets specific and it says, and this is 1 Timothy 2, 2. If you want to write this down, it's not on the screen or anything, but you can write it down and go look later. 1 Timothy 2, 2, it says, for kings and all those who are in authority. So he says, I want you to make sure you pray for everyone. And in case you missed what I'm talking about, specifically, I want you to pray for kings and those that are in authority. You say, well, yeah, yeah, I understand that. Paul's writing to Timothy. That's cool. But he doesn't understand the kind of leaders we have. And he, if he saw the kind of leaders we have, then he might not say that we had to pray for them. He might say we prayed against them or for their demise. But what kind of leaders did Timothy have? What kind of kings did they have? What did they think about Christianity? They didn't like it. Like, Paul's in prison when he wrote this for preaching the gospel. And he says, pray for the people that put me in prison. Pray for the people that would be stringing Christians up, killing them, persecuting them. And this is interesting. We, we miss this oftentimes, and it's here. And I want us to understand this because this is important to what we're going to talk about today. He says, pray for kings and all those who are in authority so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. He basically says, pray that they in their rule will give us the ability to live our lives. It's this amazing idea. And we don't have time to delve deep into the whole idea of what the Bible sees as government's um, purpose and our purpose and how the church purposes under the church under the government's purpose and what they're supposed to do and we're supposed to do and all that we don't have time for all of that and all god's people said thank you right we don't have time for that okay but what it says is the government has a role and we just want for the kings and those in our authority to allow us to live our lives the government role is not to convert people our role is to live a life that people see and in seeing that they say i want to be like that i want to follow jesus In fact, it says this is good and it pleases God who wants everyone to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Scripture says we have to be involved in this. I mean, 1 Corinthians 13 says the government is a sword and that it's used for authority. And in our type of government, a republic, a democracy, the people are the government. And so we have to be a part of that responsibility. But the question is, how do we do it? What's our attitude supposed to be like? How do we live it? How do we interact with one another? And here's what I want to warn you, all right? I want to warn some of you came to church today and you were not expecting a sermon like this. Some of you may be guests and you're thinking, what have I walked into, all right? For some of you in this room, and me included sometimes this week, it's going to feel a little bit like a root canal. Anybody here had a root canal? I haven't, but I've heard stories, all right? I empathize. It's necessary, but painful, Okay? And what I want to talk about is what attitude should we do? How should we interact with what's happening? And this is my challenge to you. All right? And I thought about this with a story I heard. How many of you know who Loretta Lynn is? How many of you know Loretta Lynn, right? How many of you have no clue who Loretta Lynn is? All right, y'all need to go do some Google searching, all right? Loretta Lynn, all right, grew up, where'd she grow up? Kentucky, up in the, up in the coal mine. How do we know she grew up in the coal mine? Because she's proud to what? Be a... Coal miner's daughter, right? Great song, right? She's proud to be a coal miner's daughter. Man, I just thought, you know, they made that movie, Sissy Spacek. And she played Loretta Lynn. And Loretta Lynn was really just, and I don't mean this in a derogatory manner. This is just fact. Was an uneducated, very poor woman who became very famous for her music. And as she became very famous for her music, she got opportunities that people from that part of the country didn't normally get. And they didn't know how to act necessarily. 
And so one of those came when Loretta Lynn got invited to the White House to meet President Nixon. So she's in the receiving line. I'm sure you've seen this on TV. I've never been in the receiving line to meet the president, but I've seen pictures and all that. Where you get in line, you shake hands. Thank you, Mr. President. Good to see you, Mr. President. How are you doing, Mr. President? And so Loretta Lynn gets in line, and as she's getting up to Richard Nixon, she sees him up there, you know, and as she goes to shake his hand, she says, How are you today, Richard? And sticks out her hand. You don't do that to the president. One of the handlers called her off to the side and said, Now, Miss Lynn... You can't call the president by his first name. You have to call him Mr. President. She said, well, they called Jesus, Jesus. I'm going to call him Richard. (laughs) It's just this coal miner's daughter. And the idea is, listen, if it's good enough for Jesus, it's good enough for Richard Nixon, okay? And this is what I love about that story, all right? It's kind of a silly story about a girl from taken out of place, all right? But it shows that in, in Loretta's mind... Like, Jesus is the most important, and meeting the president is secondary to all of that. And for us, the challenge we have, and it's not a new challenge, it's not something's going to blow your mind, wow, I can't believe the pastor's asking us to do that. But I want to talk about it a little bit today. The challenge is to put our faith before our politics. Now, if I ask you here today, how many of you in church today think you ought to put your politics before your faith? Like not a single person in this room is going to raise their hand. Or if you are, you are bold, all right? Like if I say, how many of you think you ought to put your faith before your politics? Oh, yes, pastor, absolutely. Faith before politics, always, all right? And, you, and, you're, and part of what your answer would be is, absolutely, pastor, that's what we need to do. And if everybody else would do that, like I have, everything would be all right, right? Because you realize you, do, you think your faith and your politics are the same. You realize that, right? And so does everybody else. And so we have to think, okay, so how do we put our faith before our politics? Many people approach politics with this attitude and communicate it as if it is more important than what they're kind of working out in their own lives when it comes to their faith. And for us as followers of Jesus Christ, it has to be down the list. There are a few reasons for that. First of all, because we could be wrong about some things. Have you, have you thought about that? Like, you could be wrong, right? I had a professor at seminary when I was at a Southwestern Seminary in Texas, and he used to say this. He said it probably four or five times in the semester. We would be in a, uh, you know, at seminary sometimes, it's gonna, and this is going to shock you, at seminary sometimes we had guys that wanted everybody in the class to understand how much they knew about a subject. And so they would ask questions to spur debate where they could show everybody what they knew. And sometimes guys even challenge the professor. Like, you know, well, professor, I know you think this, but don't you think the Bible really says? And you're like, ooh, everybody step back, let them go, right? And one time the professor said this, and he would say it through the rest of the semester. He goes, you know, you know, this is what I come to believe. This is what I think the scripture says. He says, but I want to tell you that I am 80% correct on my theology all the time. He said, the problem is I don't know what the 20% I'm wrong on is. Right? And so it keeps me humble to think I could be wrong. We might be wrong about our ideas on economic issues. As believers, I might be wrong on my understanding of global warming. When it comes to immigration, my views might be wrong. And what I don't want to do is to stake my reputation and my life and my testimony on something I could be wrong about. 
man, I know I'm right about the gospel. I know that I'm right, that Jesus Christ died for my sins, and he died for every single person on the planet. And I don't want to stake my reputation as a follower of Jesus Christ on some political issue that I might be wrong about. Secondly, even if we're right, those issues don't matter as much as the gospel. What do we want to be known for? I want to be known for the gospel. I want to be known for Jesus. I want to be known that I am living my life to the glory of God. And while it's easy to get into debates, when we get into debates and forget what is most important to us, then we abandon our testimony even when we're right. Let me ask you a question, okay? Um, Husbands and wives or parents and children. Have you ever won an argument? And then after you won the argument, you realize that whatever tactic you used to win the argument injured the other person. And you may have won the argument, but you realize at the end of it that you've lost more than you won. I just get this sense. And let me just tell you kind of the heart of where all this came from, why we're even doing this today. You're like, what? Are you, this, like some of these kids are like, we just got out of school. Our minds are fried from a week of school. And now you're doing politics. All right. Here's why. Last when all this presidential primary stuff got into full gear, okay, when it got into full gear last winter, I, I just became grieved in my spirit about the way that Christians were interacting with each other and with non-believers, primarily on social media, about political stuff. And I just got, I was so, um, in my spirit, I was just like, we are abandoning our witness to make a point. And about that time, I came across um, one, of, one of the heroes of my faith, one of the guys that really spoke into my life when I was a teenager, when I was growing up. It's a guy named Andy Stanley. Some of you know that name. Some of you don't. Some of my first service people, a lot of them knew his dad, Charles Stanley, pastor of First Baptist Atlanta. Andy Stanley has started a, a church that's larger than that, a big church in Atlanta named North Point. Uh, it's all over the country really now. But Andy was the guy, when I was growing up in youth group, when you go to a conference, Andy Stanley was speaking. And so a lot of my formative years, Andy spoke into my life. And so um, occasionally I'll just be flipping through, I'll check out what he's done. And he did this particular sermon called Avoiding Election Infection. The, the video you saw is from his church they produced, made it available for other churches. And as I watched this, there were just a couple of points in it, and I'm going to share uh, that with you. A lot of what I'm going to do has been influenced by that and some other stuff that I've been reading. I just said, man, man, if we could get this right about how we interact with each other and with non-believers in the political spectrum, if we could get this right, it would be a testimony to the world that has devolved into um, debate show hysterics. Why? Why do we want to get it right? Because we want an avenue to be able to tell people about the gospel of Jesus Christ. You think about Jesus' disciples. Man, those guys were from all over the place politically. I mean, in there you have Matthew the text collector, which would have been a a government agent, conservative guy, and you got Simon the zealot who was trying to overthrow the government. If you read the gospel, they never take those monikers away from them. They never describe, but that's who they are. But in the midst of that, they found a commonality, common ground in Jesus Christ. 
And they live for the glory of God in the midst of that. And here's what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that you can't have an opinion. Because first of all, that is ridiculous. Everybody has opinions. Right? You're going to have to nod sometime during the midst of this. You let me know you're still with me, right? Everybody's got opinions. I've been pastoring now for 15 years. And in 15 years, if you ask me one thing I've learned for sure, it is that everybody has opinions. Right? In our 8.30 service this morning, I preached, or 8.30, 9 o'clock service, I preached in jeans. I got some looks when I stepped out on the stage in jeans. Like, is he really going to do, I mean, I know that that's there. Some of you look at it right now and go, they're not working for you, you need to find something else, all right? Like, I know there are opinions out there, I know you have them, all right? And so it's it's ridiculous to say we're not going to have opinions. I don't think we should or we'll all agree about everything. I don't think that every Christian on the face of the earth should be a part of the same political party or be the same political candidate you support. So that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is how do we do it in a way that doesn't diminish our witness with the gospel of Jesus Christ? Well, I thought about it. I thought about my, my family. Um, growing up, we lived in Dyersburg and... Uh, my, my dad's family lived in Halls, and my mom's family lived in um, Dyersburg as well. And so we were close. Halls, Tennessee, is a suburb of Dyersburg. It's about 10 miles from Dyersburg. Dyersburg doesn't have suburbs because it's not big enough to, but if it did, it would be Halls, all right? And so Halls just, I mean, 10 miles away. We're, we're right there with our family all the time. And my, my mom's family, my mom's dad, my, my grandmother, and they, they are some of the godliest people you ever meet. My gramps was the first person I ever knew to go on a short-term mission trip to the Philippines. He went there, left his shoes with a pastor before he got on the plane because the pastor didn't have shoes. He flew home from the Philippines barefoot to give his shoes up to this pastor. I mean, just, he was a discipleship training director for him. I mean, he did discipleship for his church for like 50 years. They never let him rotate off as deacon. You're supposed to every three years. It's a small country church, Southside Baptist Church. Every time he's rolling off there, like, we got to have your Rex. We need you back on. Just a godly man. And he was a blue dog Democrat to the core. West Tennessee Democrat. So was my granny now. So was my Uncle Phil. And my dad's family's from Nebraska. And in Nebraska, they don't grow anything but Republicans. All right? That's what I've been told by my dad's family. Okay? And we would get around the dinner table. And my dad, I mean, those of you who met my dad, my dad is one of, he's just a kind, gentle soul. But when he wants to, he can be a little like, you know, spur in your side, a little burr there. And he would just slide an issue out on the table and then let it go. Well, can can you believe what your Democratic senator did, Rex? I would never vote for a man that did that. Well, I'll tell you what, Jimmy, and it was on, all right? And they would for the next 30 minutes. I remember as a six, seven-year-old, like, um, I need to go to the restroom. Like, I did it like eight times during the discussion. They're probably thinking something's wrong with that boy. But I was like, I don't want to be around this. And at the end of the discussion, though, they get up, clean the dishes together, hug as we're leaving, and everything's okay. We've lost that ability to debate an issue and love the person. 
I mean, Christian truth applies to politics, and there'll be times that we need to stand up for our rights and take a, politi- a, a controversial issue, take a political stand. But we need to understand, we don't see everything clearly right now. Throughout history, Christians have been on the wrong side of particular issues. And the question is not if there's some political issue we'll be on the wrong side of. The question is, how do we handle it when we are? If you've got your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 22. And this is the thing I want to give us. I want to give us a filter. We're not going to be long today. We're going to give us a filter. And I want us to think through how we approach politics. Matthew chapter 22. We're going to be starting in verse 36. If you don't have a Bible with you, it's up on the screen today. You can follow us there. It's just four verses. We're going to talk about them. Talk about a filter to to push everything through. And then we're going to be done. Matthew chapter 22, starting in verse 36 says, Teacher, which command in the law is the greatest? This is a question that they debated all the time. This is like the uh, theology question of the day. This is opening theology. Uh, You get a group of students together and you say, what's the greatest commandment? Now, when I say the word commandment, what do you think of? The Ten Commandments, right? And so we think he's asking him, which of the Ten Commandments is the most important, is the greatest? But that's not really the question that's being asked here. You see, for them, when they said commandment, they didn't think the Ten Commandments, like the top ten. They thought of the 600 plus commandments that are in the Old Testament law. And so they're not saying, hey, Jesus, it's those top ten. Like, which one of those ten do you like the best? They're saying, out of the 600 plus commandments that are given to us in the law of God in the Old Testament, which is the greatest of those commandments? Now, I thought about this question because in our political system, what often happens is, as you get into this time of the election cycle, you begin to ask the question, what's the most important issue that we need to vote on? Like, like, what's the greatest issue to care about? Is it the pro-life movement? Is it the economy? Is it the constitutionality of this uh, act? Is it the Supreme Court decisions that are going to come? What is the litmus test issue that if this person can't support that, I can't vote for them? Now, you may have a, you may have a list of 12, but what's number one or number two or number three? Well, basically they come to Jesus and they say, what's your, what's your, what's your issue? Teacher, which command is the greatest? And he said to them, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. It's the greatest and most important command. So he says, now, if you grew up in church, you know this, right? This isn't news to you. He says, well, the, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. And he would have gone back to the Shema, Deuteronomy chapter 6, which said exactly that, and to teach that to your kids. And he's saying the most important thing you can do is to love God, is to love God with your heart, to love God with your soul, to love God with your mind. To Do everything you can to give him praise and honor and glory. And you're like, great, that's awesome. And he could have stopped there, but he didn't. And he said the next verse says this. The second is like it. Now that doesn't mean it's kind of like it or similar to or... Almost as good as. The word in the original language there means identical to it. The same. The second command is exactly the same as the first. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets depend on these two commands. Love your neighbor as yourself. 
All the laws depend on these two commands. What he says is, here's the thing. When you ask me what's most important in life, most important in life is this, is that you love the Lord your God, but the way you demonstrate that is that you love other people. Now, in another version of uh, this kind of discussion, somebody says, okay, that's good, that's good, that's good, Jesus, good, you answered that well, but let me ask you a quick question. Who's your neighbor? Hey, Jesus, who's my neighbor? So you say, love my neighbor as myself. That's cool. That's cool, Jesus. I can do that. Like, who's my neighbor? Because in their definition of neighbor, neighbor was people that thought, looked, acted, was of the same family as you. And let's just be honest for a moment, okay? When it comes to the political discussion or it comes to most discussions in life, we still, even as believers, can operate that way. And the world at large definitely operates that way. I'll love my neighbor as myself as long as my neighbor is defined as someone that looks acts, thinks, has the same skin color, goes to the same places that I do, same socioeconomic level. As long as we're on the same team, that's cool. Is that what Jesus told them as their neighbor was? What did Jesus do? Did he answer the question directly? No. He told them a story. Anybody remember the story he told? The Good Samaritan. And he said in the Good Samaritan story, he said there's a man walking down, he gets beaten up. He gets, um, the scripture actually says he was beaten half dead, which you can't be half dead, right? Like he's almost at the point of death. And then the pastor comes by and says, I'm not going to deal with that because I don't want to touch him. It's a Jewish guy. The song leader comes by, I'm not going to do that, doesn't want to touch him. And then a Samaritan. And as soon as the story Jesus said Samaritan, they would have gone, ugh. Anybody here watching the Olympics right now? Anybody watching? All right. Man, isn't it fun to watch the Olympics? I don't know why they don't do the Olympics like every week all the time. Probably wouldn't be quite as special then, but I mean, it'd just be cool. Like, I I found myself introducing Eli to water polo, which is like a great sport, you know, team handball. Um, I watched some judo the other day and fencing and synchronized diving. Just, you know, I love watching all that stuff, right? But I don't know if you saw this the other day, and I, I don't... I don't want to share this story to spark political since we're talking about politics discussion. I just want to show you I want to show you the reality of something. Okay, so I don't know if you saw this. I think it was judo or taekwondo. There was a match between an Israeli and an Egyptian. You might see this. And I think the Israeli won. And after the match was over in that sport, like most sports, they shake hands and good job, good match. And when the match was over, the Egyptian wouldn't shake the Israeli's hand. Because of cultural, religious differences. Okay? Here's what I want to tell you. Because right? people watch that and they're like, it's the Olympics. What are you doing? The hatred that the Jews would have had for the Samaritans would have been on par with or greater than that dispute. We look at the world like, well, why can't they just get along? They, Jews and Samaritans didn't. And Jesus is basically saying, your neighbor is anybody you come in contact with. And your perspective ought to be that I care about people first and issues or politics second. And if you have an issue, if you have a political agenda that puts a barrier between you and other people and their possibility of coming to Christ, then you need to do everything you can to show love and compassion to that person. Last summer, as a staff, we read To Kill a Mockingbird. 
great American classic book. During the summers, we read novels oftentimes and talk about the gospel implications that are there. And one of the most famous lines in that book has become famous in a lot of places is when Atticus Finch tells Scout that before you can ever judge another man's character, you must walk a mile in their moccasins. And the idea is that you have to put yourself in their place. And as believers, as Americans at large, but as believers in general, in particular, we have forgotten what it means to try to think like and have compassion for people that disagree with us. And when we do that, it brings barriers to sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you're more concerned about your political candidate winning the presidency this fall than you are about your neighbor coming to know Jesus Christ as their Savior, then your priorities are out of order. If you're more concerned about what's happening in the congressional halls than you are about your friend who doesn't know Christ, then your priorities are out of step. Jesus said, That the filter through which we do everything, including political engagement, is that people are first and issues are second. This week, um, there's a a Christian blog that many of you may have never heard of. It gets shared on Facebook sometimes, so you may run across it, called the Gospel Coalition. They do blogs about all kinds of stuff. And this week, they did a blog, and it was just interesting to me to watch this unfold online. They did a blog about a, a, a white mother whose daughter um, married an African-American male. And she was describing in the story how that when she grew up, that that was unacceptable in her family and in her faith tradition, and how she had journeyed to the place that she saw it as a blessing in her life. And here's what's interesting. So I see that shared, and immediately on my Facebook wall, pastor friends, uh, on Twitter, other leaders All white start sharing it excited about this post. Look at this. Look how far we're coming. And then almost immediately that evening, suddenly I see some African-American males that I follow on Twitter and on Facebook posting it, pointing out some words and things that are in the article that was offensive to them. These are all believers. None of these are unbelievers. These are all believers. And what began to develop online, I just thought it was interesting, was this conversation about how we couldn't see from each other's perspective. And at the end of it, in one discussion in particular, I saw both of them agree that we need to do a better job of seeing each other's perspective. But in the end of it, that disagreement must not happen that ever differentiates the fact that we are still followers of the same Jesus living for the glory of Jesus Christ. And when I got through, I thought, how often do we miss opportunities if you're a Republican to say, listen, I don't understand how you got to that position. Could you explain that to me? How did you feel that way? Where are you getting your information? Not, well, I could never even think about that. And if you are, you must not be following Jesus. If you're a Democrat, like, I understand that you think that this is right. Could you talk to me about how you got there? Why are you going to vote the way you're going to vote? Have you always been that way, or is this something that changed in your life? 
It drove Jesus crazy when people would use religious laws to hurt people. Matthew twenty two thirty six. What's the greatest commandment? It's to love God with all your heart. And it's to love your neighbor as yourself. My prayer, my goal, my idea, my hope for this and for us is that we would be a church that for the next few months, but let's be realistic about this. I don't know when the, what, what's the date? Anybody know the date of the election? It's November 2nd, the first Tuesday of the 6th, first Tuesday of November, right? Go vote. Hey, listen, uh, I said we all got opinions. Your opinions don't really matter uh, in the grand scheme of things. Your vote does. Okay, so go vote. Make sure you vote. Um, but let's be honest, like when that's over on November 7th, guess what they're going to start talking about? Who's going to run for president in 2020? Right. And on Facebook, there are going to be people yelling about it and all that. So we're not getting away from it. But my goal is that this issue, we would think people first, politics second. And that we would interact with each other and with non-believers in a way that builds a bridge to talking about the gospel instead of building barriers to where they won't listen. Let's pray.